Warning, the following podcast may contain spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, this is Paul Blackthorn. I play Captain Quentin Lance on that TV show, Arrow. And you are listening to DC Primetime on Next Level. Enjoy. Welcome to DC Primetime issue 18. Yes, 18, Rob. I know. (laughs) We are issue 18 of this week and now on podcast stands for your listening pleasure. From the showcast on the Next Level Podcast Network, I am Ben Beck. And from the Caffeine Crew, I am Rob Martin. And I want to apologize ahead of time for my voice cracking as it just did. Uh, I am recovering from a long day yesterday, so if my voice tends to strain a little bit, or uh, sounds a little groggy. Uh, I apologize for that ahead of time, but I had a fantastic day yesterday, and I'm suffering the consequences today. It's okay. I'm just tired, so if I, I sound kind of uninterested in anything, it's just sleep. <laughs> it's sleep deprivation. Not That's anything. all it is. So. Yeah, because we we had two really good episodes this week, and one that was pretty good. Yeah, one that was pretty so. good. Uh, but yeah, a lot to get through. You know, we had a finale of one show, including the penultimate episodes of two others. Uh, a lot of news pertaining to the fourth show that we cover as well. And we have some some things to talk about from the corrections department that we had revealed last week that turned out to be wrong because uh, IMDB is a damn dirty liar. And uh, I have a correction from you, too. So, uh, so because uh, I'm going to tell you, you right now when I was listening to last week's just uh, checking everything out. Uh, I think you referred to Echo Colm turning into Mr. Fantastic, and I'm like, the stretchy dude? Oh, no, it's terrific, yeah. Never called you on it, I completely missed it. That's all right. Just just so anybody else listening to last week, they're like, wait a second, (laughs) way off, way off. Well, I was confused, because Echo Colm turning into Mr. Terrific would have been fantastic, so I kind of skipped a bunch in the middle there. (laughs) Uh, But let's jump into bullet points for this week first while we give each show from this week a rating of hero, sidekick, sidekick, hero, or villain. Uh, Starting off first. Uh, Wait, try that again. Not villain, damn it. Uh, Again, apologies. We're a little out of it this week. Sidekick, hero, or legend. There we go. We're not giving anything a villain, especially not. I was gonna say. I was gonna say this week we're giving two villains out. Yeah, exactly. That's a new one. Especially not. uh, I got confused because hero naturally goes with villain, and it kind of threw me off. Uh, But starting off with episode twenty-two, season two of the Flash, titled Invincible. Uh, Rob, I'm pretty sure I know what it is, but we'll go to you. I'm gonna give this week a villain. (laughs) All right, jerk. Uh, legend, legend, yeah, definitely. Legend for me as well. So good. I cannot wait for the finale next week. I almost wanted to give this one a sidekick again for the same, I know. For the same reason that we, I wanted to give Legend last week a sidekick, but we'll get into that when we go into Secret Origins as well. Uh, next week, the penultimate to the finale of Arrow, Season 4, Episode 22, titled Lost in the Flood. Rob. Going hero this week. Uh, same. Uh, it's 
you know, some high moments, but some definite confusion and low moments in this one yeah. as well. Yeah, it was, uh, man, I feel bad for that show right now. It's just, it's not matching anything else that's happening on, on these shows. I so. have high hopes for the finale. I do too. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. And, of course, we have the finale of Legends of Tomorrow, Season 1, Episode 16, uh, titled, appropriately, Legendary. And I think we're both on the same page with this one, Rob. Oh, yeah, Legend. Absolutely. Fantastic finale. What a way to wrap up the uh, the first season of this show. And with a nice little nod at the end, which uh, is where IMDb is a liar. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, now let's jump into the secret origins portion of the issue where we break down each of these episodes and we go over some of the things that we felt were great and some of the things that we felt were lacking. Uh, jumping back to The Flash, season two, episode 22, titled Invincible. Zoom unleashes an army, to, uh, an army of Earth 2 metahumans, the leader of which is Black Canary's doppelganger, Black Siren. Joe worries when Wally goes out to help The Flash. Uh, ordinarily, we I usually list a bunch of things, you know, that were highlights of the episode. But I, this time, I want to jump right into things. One, because my voice can't handle all the extra talking. Uh, and two, uh, when we did this last week, it, it, we extended Flash for way too long. So I want to cut things down a little bit. And let's just go into some of the highlights uh, of the episode. Uh, and you can't say the whole episode, even yeah. though it's the I truth. Know. I know. Uh, like I said, I, I think honestly, like I said, we're giving this week a legend, but I think it, you know, it's not as strong as last week. I will say that right off the bat, but it was still phenomenal. Um, I, they did fall into a lot of tropes, and I've seen a lot of people talking about that on Reddit threads and other reviews out there that it was just a lot of things fell to place exactly how they should, um, which is, I will say, is I think a bit of a shame because the show has been so strong. It was still did all those tropes incredibly well. Um, which is why, you know, still giving it the high rating. But, yeah, I mean, um, it, it felt like we took somebody off the table this week that didn't need to be taken off the table. Yeah, so. yeah, I could agree with that. Um, and it, there's a lot of, I mean, obviously the episode starts off with Barry, like, on a very, on a high. Like, he feels unbeatable. And, you know, and, and even the rest of the team are being the same way. Like, he feels like he's immortal and he's not. and Or he feels like he's invincible and, and he's not. And watching the episode, I, I even said to myself, I said, you know what? I said, something is going to happen that, that's going to bring him crashing down to Earth. And he's going to realize that he's not as invincible as he is. And unfortunately, that came, uh, you know, at the very end of the episode in a character death. And one that we had predicted might be the one that was going to be happening. And as you mentioned, I feel like was a little unnecessary. Well, I guess for the story um, the way it's explained at the end of the episode as to why it's happening. I, I can kind of see it hap- why it's happening uh, and why it was that particular character. But, uh, I mean, again, I don't feel like that's something that necessarily needed to happen for this show to progress. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like they did really kind of telegraph that very heavily the last couple of weeks. Um, I mean, the character in question here, we'll be able to say it right up front, is uh, Henry Allen. Um, you know, the last couple of weeks we've seen him, they've had a lot of nice close moments on screen where you were seeing a lot more of Henry and Barry together, a um, little less Joe. And while that stuff has been really enjoyable to watch, it was just him constantly like you know, reiterating, I'm going to be there for you constantly. You know, one every time he was on screen, it was just bringing that point up over and over again. And you could pretty much tell even two weeks back and then last week as well that he was going to be the one to to get axed. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, it, but it feels like such a shame after we just came off of the Runaway Dinosaur episode where it was the whole idea of him finally coming to terms with his mother. I don't want to see him rehash this idea in season three about coming to terms with the loss of his father. And that was one of the things I had mentioned last week, too, when we were when we were discussing the potential death that was going to be in this in this episode uh, or by the time of the finale. And we had mentioned it being John Wesley Ship and, and Henry Allen. And I had mentioned that last week, too. I said, I you know, he's just come to grips with the death of his mother. And if he loses his father right after that, like that is going to be so heartbreaking to, you know, to to Barry's character. And it turns out that that's exactly what's happening now. It's like now he's going to have to come to grips with the death of his father and he's going to blame himself again like he did with his mother. And it's just going to be a repeat of the cycle. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I thought was interesting is that the way that Zoom hand, like, you know, kind of spoke to him right as death was about to happen. Um, and it was that very Killing Joke-esque that you just recently read. It was that idea of like kind of getting somebody kind of paired up where it was just kind of like, I'm going to give you the the exact kind of situations that made me who I am. And it's that whole idea of what Zoom has been trying to do is break Barry, put him exactly on his level now. Uh, same thing we saw him trying to do with Caitlin, which was he wants somebody to relate to. He, he wants somebody in his life that's just like him. It's kind of like, you know, uh, it, it's his kind of sad search for a friend. Yeah. Kind of in a way. Uh, but in the sociopathic kind of way. And, yeah. and it's very, very messed up. Um, I, I think it's been interesting watching Teddy Sears do this. I think he's actually handled that very well because that could come off so cheesy. But uh, that's the one thing that show always does is that cheesy stuff does not come off that way. No, no, not at all. And I will say uh, one of the things I did like about the John Wesley Ship storyline, the Henry Allen storyline of this week's episode, I loved, and I don't know if it's something that you picked up on, but I, I'm you might have, uh, I loved there is a huge nod to the original series in this episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, that being, I don't think it's anything we ever mentioned, but uh, Dr. Christina McGee, the actress that plays her, was also... Uh, the same actress that portrayed Dr. Christina McGee in the original Flash series with John Wesley Shipp, uh, who also happened to be his love interest in the show. Right, so, and I thought that was really cute, and because it, it was like his version of like the Harrison Wells, like the good Harrison Wells. Yes. Like, and I, it was, I think it was really sweet to see them have screen time together. Yeah, so I mean, it was a nice little nod that they had them kind of almost like rekindle a relationship between Henry Allen and uh, and you know Doctor Christina McGee. Uh, a nice little nod for something that they could have done obviously before they killed off his character, and they weren't going to have another opportunity to do that. So um, yeah, I, I liked that nod. I, I thought that was highly enjoyable, but it also made me realize I'm like, okay, things are going too well for Henry. Uh, this is what's going to happen, and. It, that's ultimately what what it came down to, and s staying with the Christina Doctor Christina McGee, uh, another lighthearted moment that I really liked was earlier on in the episode when Henry or when Barry, as the Flash, rescued her, and she thanked Barry, not yeah. the Flash, and he, he shot her that look, and she's like, "I'm a scientist. I'm not stupid." Yeah, it's like my job to be perceptive. You yeah. Know? So she, it's it, you know, it's been revealed that you know Doctor McGee pretty much knew the whole time that Barry Allen was the Flash. Well, you know, and honestly, it's not the only other person that found out this week. The last person that was left in the cold for uh, you know this season has been Wally, and Wally gets to see the fact that Barry is the Flash at the end of this episode too, before Henry when Henry is abducted. Yes. So it's kind of it was kind of nice because it felt awkward when they're at that dinner scene and you're looking around and like everybody in this room but Wally. <laughs> 
<laughs> knows that Barry is the Flash. Yeah. And I'm like, you kind of felt bad for him. I'm like, at least it was addressed before the end of the episode. But it was that awkward moment where everybody's looking around. And it's kind of like, you did great today, you know, blah, 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 blah. And Wally's just kind of like oblivious to everything that's happening. All these all these conversations, you know. Yeah. And then the moment that Barry runs out, you know, after Zoom, when Zoom kidnaps his father, uh, that look on his face are like, well, Wally knows now. There's yeah. There's no denying it. So... Yeah, uh, I guess we can back up to like more of the start of the episode. We did see the metahumans tearing apart Central City, um, which you know it was. They tried to do something in a grand scale in the beginning of this, and but like we kind of did slow down to a smaller story, which I think worked well. I mean, they kind of did make it to the fact that yes, there are hundreds of metas running around, and I love how they, you know, like I said, I'll, I'll put it as sciencing the shit out of their problem. <laughs> um, to, you know, how not to have to deal with a massive meta brawl in this show, dealing with hundreds and hundreds of people. Uh, but I love the their their solution to the problem, and the fact that they even brought up the altered timeline now with Hartley being one of the people that they checked in on on how to figure out and devise their plan to take out all the Earth 2 metas. Yeah, yeah, so. exactly. I thought that was actually pretty brilliant on Cisco's part to come up with that, too. I mean, and it's, we've never made any bones about the fact that Cisco is brilliant, so, I mean, it was him that came up with the, I guess, I don't know what they call it in the show, but it's almost like a, a signal wave bomb. Uh, yeah. You know, Let's in, go with that. That works. Yeah, the signal wave bomb, you know, in which Barry has to run around the city so that it reflects off of each other. And it pretty much just sends a signal to all these Earth 2 humans that knocks them unconscious and unfortunately also happens to Dr. Wells. Uh, you know, because, well, it, he does it to himself in order to save... Uh, in order for it to not happen to Jesse, because I guess the headphones that Jesse was wearing are starting to fail, and she's able to hear the signal herself, and it's causing her a lot of pain. So Wells takes his headset off, gives it to her, and it knocks him. It renders him unconscious. And and I love the fact that they refer to him as Beats by Wells. Yes, that was so that's <laughs> so good. So oh, that was awesome. So many nice little you know lighthearted nods like that. As well, but I mean, one thing we didn't mention, and out of the army of Earth Two metahumans, we had seen Katie Cassidy return as the Black Siren. Yeah, who? Which I I, I love this version of her. I thought it was fantastic. You can see every time these characters get an opportunity to play like one of the doppelganger characters, uh, they just love it. They eat it up. They have so much fun with it. And I actually really enjoyed watching her this way. And the one thing I'm really happy about, and like I said, everybody knows this is a spoiler show, uh, but the fact that she's still locked up in Star Labs, she is on Earth-1 and trapped and still alive. And I'm like, yes, which, they can bring her back. Which was, an, her. which was another great moment with Cisco that had me laughing. When she is trapped in, you know, when she's locked up in the labs and she's, you know, sending the sonic burst at the glass and Cisco's just like, what? What? I can't hear what you're saying. And, mm -hmm. you know, just another moment that had me, that made me laugh as well. But there was a lot of great moments when it came to Katie Cassidy. And one of the things I really appreciated was the fact that, yes, she is this powerful metahuman, but they, with just one little line, they made it known that she's not stupid like she's she's a lieutenant in this army and for good reason uh, there's a there's a, a moment where obviously as to cause a distraction um uh, caitlin and cisco dress up as their doppelgangers which was fantastic yeah and that was what we kind of predicted last week that it was them pulling the fast one on them yes know? uh but i mean it it it's it comes to 
you know, it, it comes to the reality that Black Siren realizes it's not them simply because they're not they're they're op- the doppelgangers. If they're right handed in Earth one, they're left handed in Earth two. Mm-hmm. And just that little nod helps her to realize I'm being played. And it, it turns into almost like a Scooby Doo moment where they have to kind of run away from the villain. Uh, but I mean, it, it shows that, you know, Katie Cassidy, you know, Black Siren is not is not stupid. Yeah, yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing her. I'm really hoping that we get to see her uh, once or twice next season, too. I so. hope we get to see her next season as well. I don't think she's going to be... I don't think we're going to see her again for the rest of the season. There's only one episode left. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, just just specifically, though, too, just to be able to see what happens if she gets loose from, you know, Star Labs and finds her way over to, you know, Star City and what the fallout of that is. And it would just be very interesting to see. It's Like I said, it, it's one of those things where... If they really wanted to tweak things and alter things just a bit, we could still have Black Canary back if they ever chose to go that route. Yeah. But it's just a very different Black Canary. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even though there technically is a Black Canary already now in Star City. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I know. <laughs> I know what your opinion of that is. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> another little nod that I loved. They kind of paid homage to a, a little Superman moment. Uh, but, but, you know, with some twists in that when uh, Captain Singh, you know, asked where Barry was, uh, the Flash runs away and Barry comes around the corner. You know, hey, you were looking for me. Mm-hmm. So that was a nice little nod to, you know, when the chief is asking where Clark is and, you know, when Superman is on scene and Superman runs off and Clark just comes running around the corner like, you know, I missed everything again. Mm-hmm. It was just nice. It was one of those beautiful little superhero moments. Yeah, um, exactly. I, I think one of the other things we definitely need to touch on this week, too, is the uh, side story dealing with Wally and him really wanting to dive in and help out. Um, you know, obviously, we didn't see him with his powers. We did see that silver uh, silver car with the red streaks on it kind of nodding to his new 52 costume. Yes. Um, but it was nice to see him diving in, not a meta yet. And uh, I love the fact that it was just that whole, like, he's just like his dad. Uh, he, he wants to help people. like And it's, you know, there's people with super uh, superpowers out there. His father's a cop, and he's just doing what he can. And it's that idea of Joe talking to Barry. It's like, you are on this high, yes, right now, about feeling invincible. We got this. Everything's good. He's like, but while he's not prepped for this, he's not ready. He's going to get himself killed. You need to talk to him. And you see this nice little exchange that kind of mimics back to after Wally was saved about, him wanting to kind of show that he deserved to be saved. Yeah. Um, and Barry kind of being like, yeah, but this is the things that are going to happen. But it's really quickly Barry in his very positive mindset right now at this time in the episode really much realizes that Wally's going to do what he wants to do. And the only other person that can talk to him about it is really Joe. And ultimately Joe just needs to accept that his son wants to do what's best. And it's up to Joe to kind of, maybe show him the best way to go about this. Yeah, and I can see this being a focus <clears throat> into season three of Flash as well, because, I mean, as of right now, he's not a metahuman. He has no abilities as of yet. And, you know, he already feels like he wants to go out there and help. So when the time comes that he gets these powers, or whatever they may be, uh, you know, that he becomes a hero, he's already going to have that mentality that he wants to get out there immediately. He's going to want to help, but he's not trained in how to use these powers. You know, so it's going to come to the point where, you know, Barry or Joe are going to tell him, look, we understand you have the ability to help now, but you don't know how to use these powers yet. 
you have to be trained. But while he's going to go against that and he's going to want to run out there and it's going to cause some problems. So I can see that being a focus in season three when his powers develop. Mm-hmm. And you get to see him after this conversation save Barry from the fight, uh, the fight with Black Siren, which I loved that moment of just him, yeah, you know, sk- you know, kind of like sk- you know, coming to that hard break and slamming the back end of his car into Black Siren, sending her sailing, grabbing Barry, and just peeling the hell out and getting out of the situation. Yeah, which was just a fun scene. It just looked so good. It was shot so incredibly well. Um, but yeah, it was just fun to see him do that. And you're like, yep, he already has the heart of a hero. So when he does have his powers, it's going to be exciting to watch. Yes. It, it very, I think it's going to be very reminiscent of, uh, Roy, uh, and Arrow right before he became Arsenal. It was, it's that same drive that makes you want to see them become the hero. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one final thing I know we need to, t- we need to discuss, uh, or at least bring to attention is, uh, Caitlin and her PTSD from being with Zoom. Uh, which is certainly prevalent now. She's starting to see Zoom in in her head, and he, it's it's starting to make you realize that he had an effect on Caitlyn while he had he got into her head for sure while she was being held captive by Zoom. Yeah, and I think they actually handled that very well. Again, that's another thing that could have come off very cheesy, but it could it showed very much that she has had like kind of the shit kicked out of her between what happened to her last season, dealing with the death of Ronnie, uh, then finding out Ronnie's still alive, only to lose him yet again. You know, Teddy Sears comes in as the Jay Garrett character, rebuilds her trust, only to turn out to be, you know, the big bad villain of the season, and just kind of taking everything mentally away from her again, and then just kind of just mentally abusing her as she's locked away, and it's showing that, She's got potentially a dark future ahead of her still. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, And before we go into talking about next week's finale, um, we obviously had one huge thing that we need to bring up leading into the finale because we're sure it's going to have to do with it is Cisco's vibe of Earth 2. Yeah. uh, In which we are seeing basically Earth 2 being torn apart. Yeah, and it was kind of hard to tell. Like, there's a part of me that made it feel like Earth Two was being ripped apart, or Earth Two was merging with Earth One. I thought it very fringe, like um, yeah, that's and, what I was thinking as well. And I couldn't tell; I couldn't determine the difference myself. And honestly, either direction that they go, I think, is exciting. Um, the idea of Earth Earth One and Two merging together, and maybe this is the entry uh, entry point. Like it's the uh, like, you know the DC stories of the collision of the multiverse down into one Earth. Maybe this is what brings Supergirl in. All these things, uh, they'll find a way they can write that in. Or it's the straight up the destruction of Earth 2. We've seen many Earths destroyed in you know DC lore. Um, and it would be very cool to see how they're going to handle this specifically. Because it kind of feels like it's building to a crisis-like event. Yeah. Maybe for next season. And we'll get into it in the news a little bit. But I'm very, very curious now. Because they do have Supergirl and The Flash now. Which are two of the big casualties of the original Crisis on Infinite Earths. And it makes me wonder if next season we're going to see them play with that idea a little bit. Uh, yeah, it, it'll definitely be interesting to see. As you said, I mean, whichever way they go, it, it's going to be exciting. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to where they're going to go into the finale, which, uh, you know, is titled The Race for His Life. It is episode 23 of season two, the finale of the episode, which I cannot wait. I'm so excited. I wish it could be Tuesday already. Uh, after Zoom reveals his true plan, Barry vows to do whatever it takes to stop him. And we see in the promo for next week, it almost involves some kind of a race. Between it seems that Zoom. way. Yeah. 
So I don't know. It looks like it's almost happening in it. In, it looks like the race is kind of contained in some kind of a device. Uh, so I'm wondering if maybe this is a race to kind of figure out like who is going to come out on top between the two of them. Like whoever wins gains the speed force of the other. I don't know. So because maybe this device is something that can do that. Uh, I, I don't know. It's it's I'm completely open to whatever it is, and I'm just looking forward to it. And I will say before we move on to Arrow, uh, I'm I'm even more confident now the way this past episode ended that the man in the Iron Mask is Jay Garrick, played by John Wesley Shipp. Yeah, me too. I, and I think that's the smartest move. It's a great way to make sure that you know Ship is still on the show next season. It was one of those things that a lot of people were worried about with the end of season one, not losing Tom Cavanaugh and. I, I'm very, I, I'm really, really hopeful that we're not going to see John Wesley Ship go anywhere because he is a great asset to this show, yes. and uh, I, I'd love to see that continue on. Yes, and it'd be interesting to see what kind of a relationship builds between him, between Barry and Jay Garrick. If the, if it doesn't turn out, if it does in fact turn out that, that that's the case, that Jay Garrick is is Jay uh, is John Wesley Ship, and he's the man in the Iron Mask. Uh, it'll be interesting to see they, the way they build that relationship between Barry and Jay. Uh, you know, because obviously he's going to see his father in Jay, but he's not his father. Right. And it also opens him up to potentially be on another show that makes a lot of sense if he is Jay Garrick yes. from the JSA, because we'll get into that in our last show. Yes. That's a really good opportunity for them to, to play with that. And that's and the, that little nod at the end of that show is another reason why I may be a little more confident in Jay Garrick being John Wesley Ship or the Man in the Iron Mask being Jay Garrick. So, uh, but let's move on to the next episode of the week, that being Arrow season four, episode 22, titled Lost in the Flood. Following the shocking events in the previous episode, Oliver and Diggle race to rescue Thea while Felicity, Curtis and Noah join together to stop dark. Uh, So obviously we see um, in the very beginning of the episode, we're seeing that Damien Dark has gotten a major, major upgrade. Uh, in 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 his powers, that being from the casualties of, uh, God, what the hell was the city? I can't remember now. Uh, uh I, Haven Havencroft. Havencroft. I yeah, I think yeah. that's it. Uh, we could be mistaken, so we might have more corrections to make next week. But um, so we're seeing because obviously uh, Ollie shoots arrows at him that just disintegrate, in which Diggle follows through by firing bullets at him, which just stop and disintegrate. So, obviously, we're going to be seeing, even though we see that moment in the beginning, there's not a lot of Damien Dark focus in this episode. So, which makes me think that they're obviously, they're saving Damien Dark uh, for the finale next week. I agree. I think that's exactly where they're going to go. We got to see kind of like the, the fallout of everything last week. Uh, we, we saw the city uh, under you know underground as far as what was happening with that with, just uh, everything continuing on from last week with anarchy still being loose down there. Everything that's happening with Thea, we did you know get full confirmation that Alex is dead. Um, yeah, I mean this, and then this week it was a lot of you know hackers versus hackers, and it was it felt like the wrong time for this. It, it felt like we got that last week, and it was just just a was a more boring continuation of that last from last week. Well, not only that, but I mean, we didn't just get this last week. We got this earlier on in the season. Like this yeah. is this is almost like a continuation of Felicity's backstory, right? You know, we're it was seeing... that brother eye episode that they did. In yeah, 
beginning of the season or was it last season? I can't remember. But. I can't remember either. But I mean, it's it's because it, some of these episodes tend to kind of like blend together and you kind of forget which season they fall into. Uh, but I mean, we, we saw it, literally we saw the return of her ex-boyfriend from her from her backstory. You know, her father and her mother are both involved. I mean, this is a continuation of Felicity's backstory. So, I yeah. mean, but just tied into the whole uh, Damien Dark storyline with Monuments Point, which I will add. Um, actually, I'll save it for later. Um, but there's, you know, I, I will say one of the things that made me laugh from this, as you mentioned, we did get confirmation that Alex is dead uh, in this episode. And it was very clear uh, that Parker Young, the actor that played Alex, uh, was not the actor lying on the ground. When they showed Alex's body, you never saw Alex's face and the back of his head looked completely different. It was very obviously a stand in yeah. for, for Alex, uh, which, you know, they do that kind of thing all the time. Why are you going to pay that actor to just lie on the ground and never be seen in a death scene? It's, it doesn't make any sense. So, But it did make me laugh to, to when I realized that. I'm like, OK, that's obviously not Parker. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that was, I think, odd this week, too, is a lot of the action scenes when we saw Diggle and Ollie running around, you know, in the underground city in that broad daylight, it just doesn't felt like it doesn't feel like it works well in the show. Like those broad daylight action scenes in the show never feel like they're in the right tone. Um, and, you know, they're very visceral fights and it's nothing against the show, but it's because it's been so dark for so long. When you see actions like this broad daylight, it kind of takes you out a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of that kind of showed up a little bit this week. I think the stunts in those were were pretty decent. I, I did like the stunts that they were doing with the, you know, uh, you know, firing arrows in the air and, and everything. I liked that part. But you're right the, the the lighter, brighter tone to those scenes really kind of take away from it. And is it just me or did were, did you find it odd that him and Diggle, like the Arrow and Spartan, are just walking around this place in broad daylight and nobody notices them? Yeah, that did seem a little weird. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I mean, again, I think I love Damien Dark. I love what they were building to. This is not the buildup of the finale I was hoping for for Damien Dark. It, this feels very much like a retread of the Earthquake Machine uh, on a grander scale from season one. Um just, just not done as well, but with a very charismatic villain. Yeah, uh, and I got an, we we got another Malcolm Merlin star scream moment mm-hmm. as well, where he kind of like bails out, you know, as to save his own life, and doesn't really matter what happens to the people that are following him. Uh, but I mean, a lot of Malcolm Merlin focus in this episode, which I liked. I liked him being brought more forward to the forefront of the episode rather than just taking a side henchman uh, note that he seemed to have been taking. Uh, for the second half of this season, uh, I did like him coming back and, um, you know, being a part, a main focus of this episode, especially when it came down to um, Anarchy being the one who he, he wants to destroy this uh, this place, which we did actually find out is actually called Tabat Noah, uh, which in other words means Noah's Ark. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Hebrew for Noah's Ark. Yes. So I I did like that that we found we finally found the name of this point uh the the name of this place and it is a nod to Noah's Ark obviously. Um but you know before this before Malcolm comes to the forefront of this episode he is playing the henchman role again and in fact he gives Thea a pill to turn Thea against uh Oliver and Diggle. Yeah, which lasted all about 5 seconds on screen. Uh, it was that was another big misstep this week. I was like there was no reason to do it because it was just washed away like immediately the next scene you saw her in. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was almost like they needed, when they wrote this episode, they had 10 minutes of, they were short 10 minutes of storyline, and they said, you know what, Let, let's give Thea a pill. Yeah, you that's know, really... kind of fill the episode. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. That's that. That's exactly how that felt this week, um, again, and it, which is a shame. It feels like they're not quite sure how to write for Speedy right now. They're not quite sure how to write for Malcolm, and it was a shoehorn in plot, and I think this was your opportunity to make dark bigger and badder the focus to be purely on him versus Ali. Uh, Cause we're still dealing with the flashbacks uh, with Tiana and you now Ryder's still around and all this crap. And it, it just nothing felt necessary. I just really wanted to see this big play out with what's going to happen with dark and Ali. Yeah. And, and, and you mentioned the flashbacks and that was something else that was really disappointing to me in this episode is the fact that th- there was nothing that came out of them. No, I, I mean, mean we there's saw... no, f- no forward momentum. All we know is straight up there's things going on in Russia. They mentioned Kovar, which, uh, if memory serves correctly, he used to be a Teen Titan way back in the day. Uh, he's got ties to the character Red Star. I think it's Red Star's son. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious on what they're doing because um, I, I have no idea. I, I generally have no idea what they're planning here or attempting, and that's not good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, when you're this close to the finale, I mean, you need – these flashbacks have to be close to wrapping something up because when it comes to the finale and it comes to the final face-off with Damien Dark or whatever they're going to do with it, I, I don't want time wasted with more flashbacks. If there's flashbacks in next week's finale, they have to pay off or I'm going to be extremely disappointed. You know how it's going to pay off? Tiana and Ryder are going to die. Ali is going to do something with the idol and then he's going to get picked up by – Amanda Waller or somebody, he's going to get off the island and go to Russia, and that's it. That's exactly what's going to happen. That's yeah. all that's going to happen. And it's going to be disappointing. So, I mean, I, again, I have hopes for the finale next week, but I, these flashbacks, man, they got to stop. They they really, really do. Yeah, I mean, I feel like right now, even like after talking about this, our hero is just almost too high to say it. But, I mean, there were positives in this episode. I mean, we got to see, you know, Curtis come back. He was fun. Um, seeing what's going on with that. Uh, but unfortunately, he was shoehorned in with Donna and uh, Noah and, you know, Felicity. It, it was just, so you didn't even get to see him shine. Uh, it was, this episode was all over the place. The only thing that was really interesting, and I hate to say it, was what was going on with Anarchy and Ollie. And, you know, we got to see the death of Rube Dark this week at the hands of Anarchy because he's still on his whole, like, binge to destroy... Um, Damien Dark's plans. Yes. And it was nice to see she's finally out of the picture because she's a character I just haven't had any interest in at all. Um, I did. And you know what? And I didn't realize this until this week. Um, the actress that plays Ruve Dark, uh, this is actually a nice little nod to the DC Universe. Uh, she is the niece of Margot Kidder. Oh, cool. Who played Lois Lane. Yeah, that's in the awesome. original Superman movies. So, in a, in a little stretch, she is tied to her family is tied to the DC universe already. So, but yeah, but again, I, I, I she was a character I was not invested in myself um, either. Uh, you know, you did mention we get to see Echo Kellum returns, uh, and and he's not. He we do find out he in season five he is going to be a season regular. Um, so hopefully, Mister Terrific will be in development starting next uh, next season. Uh, but we did also see that Felicity reveals to her mother what she's been doing this whole time. Right. 
Uh, you know, she reveals that for the past three years, she's been working with the Green Arrow. She doesn't reveal who the Green Arrow is, obviously, uh, but she reveals that she is a part of that team. She has been helping the Green Arrow for the past three years, and her father has known about it longer than she has, which kind of makes her feel, you know, horrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think some of the drama that they had together on screen, like that Felicity's family stuff, was not bad. I mean, I, I don't think it was you know, poorly written, poorly acted. I think it was all handled very well, but not something that was necessary in the penultimate uh, episode of a season. It, it it kind of harkens back that idea that the show is revolving around Felicity because all these big, huge emotional moments are not dealing with the main character anymore. Um, and I think they really need to address that next season as well. It's not just the flashbacks. It's, you know, the show is called Arrow. It's, you have to re- it feels like you have to remind the writers of that sometimes. And while it's interesting that you're fleshing out other characters, we fleshed her out so much, and now it feels like they're hunting for more things to flesh out with her, as opposed to doing more to build up Ollie or, like, you know, Diggle, give me more about Lila. You know, you have a lot of characters to play with. Show me more about what's happening with Quentin. He's, he's been such an integral part of all of this um, since season one. You have the opportunity to do this. You don't need to stay on one character. Yeah, and I did enjoy when you mentioned Quentin too. I actually enjoyed seeing Quentin part of the team this week. I mean, he's always he's been part of the team for a while, but I mean, as far as this week goes, like he was in the heart of the Arrow Cave. He was there while everybody else was gone. He was the one that stayed behind to make sure, you know, everybody was still connected. So, I did enjoy seeing that, and if it does come down, we know at least we hope he's going to get his badge back and he's going to be part of the force again. Uh, but, I mean, in the meantime, it's nice to know he has a role somewhere in this. Yeah, and uh, it's sad to say, though, too, like he had a had a, a little appearance on Legends this week, too, and it feels like his time on Legends was better than it was on his own show. <laughs> yeah, and uh, when you mentioned his, uh, I was going to mention this when we talked about Legends, too, but I can mention it now, is that timeline of the storyline matched up perfectly this week. Yeah, there was no it, staggers in weeks as there has been before. So that moment that we see him in Legends of Tomorrow is a moment that we are left with on Arrow, which was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, the timing was perfect. It's, they're dealing with Dark. Like, he was the only one in the Arrow cave. Yes, exactly. It. So um, the one thing I want to mention first, uh, lastly, before we wrap up with this week's episode of Arrow 2, is the ending of the episode uh, with the crater in the ground. The, the head-scratcher moment? Well, yeah, I guess it's sort of a head-scratcher moment, but uh, the, what I wanted to make reference to with, with Tabat Noah being pretty much imploded and in the ground, that is, with the exception of Superman, that's a straight-out cover of Monument Point. Oh, cool. That was uh, the comic book that I had I brought up in recommendations a couple weeks ago uh, when I recommended you know Monument the, to get familiar with Monument Point. That was the cover of that comic book was the crater in the ground after the, you know, catastrophe at Monument Point. Yeah, I mean, so, one of the things that bothered me, though, definitely with that is it's kind of like, okay, you know, they they have that poor, horribly timed shot that hits a canister underneath somewhere, and they're like, oh, Dwarf Star, uh, Dwarf Star alloy, you know, unstable, and then all of a sudden the entire city explodes. Yeah. And you're like, okay. <laughs> but, you know, Tabat Noah goes up, boom, so or down. Assume, or down tons and tons and tons of people obviously had to die uh, in the process of this. But that also wiped out the glades and they're all standing around like, well, we've solved that problem. And you're like, <laughs> I'm like, you just let part of the city get just decimated. And yeah. it does the reaction to it was not the right reaction. 
it felt very off. Um, I, I didn't quite get it. And they were like, well, they even made a reference about the glades. Uh, and I, I forget what the line was offhand, but it was this kind of Thea makes this kind of like smart ass comment about, you know, the value of the glades is going to go up, <laughs> you know, something along those lines. But like, you just wiped out the part of the city you've been trying to save since season one. Um, so yeah, it was very mentally confusing about what was really going on in that shot. And I, I feel like they have to address that a little bit, I hope, at the start of the next episode. Yeah, and I think the deaths that happened weren't, unfortunately, uh, not, whether fortunately or unfortunately, either way, the deaths that happened in that in that catastrophe of, you know, of Terra Nova, not Terra Nova, that's a wrong show, uh, Tabat Noah, um, you know, the deaths are the ones that happened above ground. They weren't the ones that happened below ground. So all the deaths were completely innocent. They were people that didn't even know this place existed. Right, and the other thing that you're looking at, too, is they spent time focusing on this family in, in, in Spot Noah, too, of kind of like, no, we chose to be here. Yeah. Our, our city kept getting destroyed. Why would you focus on these these people there and not even show them being saved? Like, any of these things. Like, that's Ollie's goal. Like, he's saying he's trying to be this positive person, trying to do the right thing, and it, it seems like they were the response, uh, responsible now between Felicity wipe, helping wipe out now tens of thousands of people and now them just laying waste to an underground city and whatever was above it. And it seemed odd. It seemed very, very odd. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that family too. And I think the point of that was basically, I don't even really think the family was the focus focus of that. I think it was more just to address the fact that, Hey, there are a lot of people involved in this whole situation. Not all of them are under control, right? There are people that are doing this and part of this under their own free will. Mm-hmm. So I mean, and that, I think that was more the point of yeah. That, no, I know I do. I I do agree with you. Yeah. So, but I would say yeah, it it was a hero, but I would say it was a lesser hero who was not far away from being a sidekick this week. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one as well. Uh, but going into next week, we have the finale, obviously season four, episode twenty three, which we're still holding out high hopes. But you know, the past couple weeks uh, have been a little disappointing as far as the shows go. But Oliver teams up with a surprising force in an attempt to stop Damien Dark and his magic once and for all. Any predictions as to who we think this uh, this mysterious force, this surprising force may be? I would love it to be Constantine, but I'm sure <laughs> it's not going to be. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, or, or even Vixen, but, you know, I think we would have heard something about that by now, at least in news, but I'm not quite sure what they're going to do. My guess, Malcolm Merlin again, but... Yeah, I mean, but then again, it, that's not to me. That's not that surprising. Yeah, I mean, Malcolm does what he needs to do to survive. If it means teaming up with Damian Dark, he teams up with Damian Dark. If it means teaming up with Team Arrow, he teams up with Team Arrow. So for him to be that surprising force, and um, that would be a little disappointing. Yeah, for me, I hope it's somebody obviously that we haven't even been introduced to yet. That could be a nice lead into season five. Yeah. So, but. We'll see. Uh, IMDb is not lying to us this week because they don't have any details as to who it may be. Uh, But on that note of IMDb lying to us, let's go into the final show of the week. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow, Season 1, Episode 16, the season finale titled Legendary. After the numerous sacrifices the team has made since the beginning of the ride, Rip decides that it's time they each decide their own destiny and returns them to Central City a few months after they first left. Returned to their normal lives, each team member must individually decide if they are willing to sacrifice everything in order to save the world. Meanwhile, Sarah visits with her father, who delivers some heartbreaking news about her sister. Uh, I want to start with that moment, because it's not a a large moment of the show, so it's something we can knock out pretty quick. 
Um, the emotion that I felt when they killed off Laurel Lance uh, in, in Arrow, a lot of that emotion stemmed from Quentin's reaction and not really anybody else. Uh, those emotions came back. Just seeing those emotions filling his face again when he had to tell somebody else that Laurel is no longer around. Yeah, I mean, that and Katie Lotz played that up so incredibly well on screen, and it, like, it was just as heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, watching that scene, it felt like you saw that scene happening all over again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was it, it was very heartbreaking and emotional, and I loved it. I thought it was done. It, again, it wasn't a large point of the episode. Uh, I mean, it, there are some other points that follow through with it in the episode when it comes to uh, Katie Lotz's character, um, Sarah, facing off with Rip a little bit later on in the episode. But as far as that particular scene went, I thought it was so well done, and I, I, I thought it was great. Yeah, and, you know, let's get into that Rip bit, too, uh, as well, because, you know, Sarah definitely confronts Rip Hunter about, you know, you knew this was going to happen, and I loved his response to it. It was, they kind of treated this as one of those other fixed points in time, where if he didn't take Sarah out of the equation and bring her aboard the Wave Rider, that Damien actually would have been responsible for the, uh, the death of not only her, uh, Laurel, but also Quentin as well. Yeah. And by removing her from the equation, it would only result in just the death of Laurel. Yeah, and I thought that was very interesting to see because, again, that's something you see them play with in the comics a lot. I mean, there's a moment in a Booster Gold book written by uh, Dan Jurgens, and uh, where they kind of he tried to go back and save Barbara Gordon from being shot uh, by the Joker, kind of you know fixing the the points of the Killing Joke into showing that it's just impossible. Um, and so I like how they kind of wrote this off that, that there are fixed points that are just untouchable. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and and as you had mentioned, it was the lesser of two evils. I mean, it was one death as compared to all. So it was good. I mean, and it was even a little nice little funny moment later on in the episode, too, where she storms off. And when Rip goes to find her in her room, like the first words out of his mouth are, um, you know, are you going to kill me? Uh, because, you know, she obviously is upset about this. You know, yeah, because she could. Sarah feels that she could have gone back and and stopped this from happening, and Rip reveals, you know, that no, that's that's not the case at all. Yeah, and like I said, these points are all happening after you know Rip decides to take these uh, take all these people back to 2016, and not at the point in time they left, but five months after. Um, and we get to kind of go through everybody one by one is what they're up to. You see Mick leading a new group of. Uh, people trying to put over a heist somebody else is in possession of the cold gun who completely just mucks up the job uh, to an extent or goes too far where Mick's kind of nailing that hero mentality where he injures somebody in the process and Mick's like nope this tortures him and then one of the best moments of the episode <laughs> occurs. <laughs> um, in that particular moment, too, I want to bring this up because I noticed another number of other people online who had, who thought the same thing that I did. And I want to see if you did or any of the listeners did as well. Uh, the The dialogue from that scene, before he torches the other guy who's trying to take up the mantle of Captain Cold, did you think he dropped the F-bomb? I, I didn't quite catch it. I, I would have to go back and watch again. Okay, because the way the dialogue is said um, by Dominic Purcell, it almost sounds like he's dropping the F-bomb. And I heard it, and I was like, wait a minute. That can't possibly be what he said. And you go back, and he says, on foot. and But the way it, it comes across and it's delivered, it almost sounds like it was the F-bomb. And I did see a number of other people online who uh, who did kind of pick up on that at the same time. So I was curious if that was something that you had picked up on as well. 
No, I'll have to go back and check that again. So, uh, but you did mention, you know, one of the better, best interactions of the episode that happens right after that. And I think if it's the same one I'm thinking of, that would be um, Ray being the driver of the getaway car. And taking a mask off. And it's kind of like, he's like, oh, my God, what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> and it was just this beautiful moment of them. It's just like, no, we got to look out for each other. And it was just I loved that that positive ideals coming from Ray still. It's just kind of like, you know, you know, Leonard did what he did because he knew that if he was gone, I'd be here to keep you in check and you'd be here to keep me safe. <laughs> yeah. And it was, I like that it kind of seems like the legacy of, of Leonard Snart still exists right now. Yeah. And now, it's, it was something special, I think. It was a really nice little special moment. Was it before that moment or after that moment that we kind of got – uh, another one of my favorite, absolute favorite moments of this episode where Rip actually takes Mick a little bit back in time to see uh, Leonard again in the bar and almost to kind of say his goodbye or to thank him for being the person that he was because he can't do it to Leonard now himself. Um, was that before or after? Actually, I think it was afterwards because I think Ray was with him. Yeah, it was, I think, when they were trying to figure out what they wanted to do with their life. Like, they, they kind of showed everybody getting back, trying to get into their normal lives a little bit. Um, and then when it came to their their decisions of what to do with their lives after that point, you you saw them go through some of these other emotions. Um, but I got to say, that was I my favorite moment of this episode. And it was, I actually got kind of choked up. Yeah, was, I mean, we got, was, you know, yeah. Mick, Mick told him, he said, you know what, you may not think you're a hero, but you're my hero. And I, I loved that moment. I thought it was so well done. Um, and I love seeing this side of Mick. Yeah, and it shows, again, think about how these characters started in The Flash and where they are after a single season of a show. Not even a full, like, normal length season, but in 16 episodes, that was one of those other scenes that we saw. We saw it last week with, you know, Jax and you know Dr. Stein of how much they've evolved but this was the moment that you realized how much these characters really have changed as well yeah and especially with probably the two big fan favorites of the show and it was so this so soul crushing to watch Mick deal with that and even Rip making the the point of when everything is all done I could bring you back here I could bring you back to this time and it was Mick kind of like kind of like no we have to move forward yeah, I mean, he, it was him. He was saying his goodbye to Leonard. Uh, and, you know, and once you do that, you don't go back. So, I mean, I liked seeing that progression. Uh, there's even another moment with Rip or with Mick that comes up, Mick and Rip, that comes up a little bit later on in the episode. But we'll uh, we'll save that uh, for a little bit later. on. Actually, I'm, I don't know. It's It's more closer to the end, I think. Um, I'll just bring it up because I know we're, we're we're jumping all over the place with this, but it's it's fine. Um, there's a moment where Rip uh, is deciding what to do. Uh, oh no, it is in the beginning of the episode. It's when he's leaving them all behind, and Mick says flat out, "I don't want to lose another friend." Yeah, I mean, and it's the part in the mo- it's the moment that Mick admits, you know, he considers these people friends. He's part of this team. So again, it just shows the character progression of. Of Mick Rory. I mean, it's... Which I love. Yeah. So. And then, I, you know, I guess one of the big things we need to start diving into now is the final fight with Vandal Savage. Um, and how they do find a way to track him down. I think one of the core things that we do see is Kendra and Vandal Savage are stuck in 1944. As they're trying to... As uh, Vandal Savage is trying to gather, you know, three meteorites. Um, all coming from uh, Thanagar that all contain Nth Metal. And if he 
completes his ritual by using the blood of Carter, Kendra, and himself, that he is able to kind of wipe out all of time, bring everything back to ancient Egypt, and basically can start fresh. Like, nothing has happened. And he can basically be a god from all all the way back to that point. Yeah, and, and basically rewrite time all over again. Right, and one of the cooler yeah. things that we got to see in 1944, I know a lot. there's a lot of speculation uh, in the, that little uh, study that we see on the Wave Rider. We've seen a helmet all season long that even DC Access and their Twitter page has shown us that helmet before, saying Sergeant Rock's helmet, which everybody was super giddy about. And, you know, we see a soldier in this episode um, where Kendra kind of plays around with the idea of time, knowing that she recognizes this helmet, uh, where she sees a soldier come up uh, who is very, very fastly killed off by Vandal <laughs> Savage. So it makes me wonder, is this really Sergeant Rock? Because, well, this that's a, a big, huge hero from DC Comics lore that's super, super strong and all this. And this is this tiny little lanky dude. And you're like, wait a second, what's going on here? <clears throat> it, it was either poor casting or they just didn't know what to do or just had to shoehorn in something super fast. But so... It's hard to say if this was Sergeant Rock or not, but that was definitely his iconic helmet. But uh, we see here leaving a note for the team stating uh, where to find Savage and what he's up to. Uh, and we see that kind of tweak in the Wave Rider when everybody says, hey, we are going after Savage. We have to figure out what to do, how to do it. And uh, they find the note because the helmet has shifted places because of it being tampered with somewhere in time. Yeah, in which we see uh, is revealed by Jax because Jax accidentally knocks the helmet off the table uh, or off the desk in which, you know, Rip realizes, wait a minute, that helmet was not there. It was uh, it's, it was on the other side of the room uh, and which he reveals too that, you know, when things happen in time, sometimes things can move in time if, if things have been messed with in the timeline, which makes him investigate and they find the note and they realize where to go to rescue Kendra. Now, the thing that I didn't, get completely is she gives them a place in a year that's 365 days how did they know what day to go to yeah that was the only thing that was very much left off of that note and i'm like <laughs> wait a second it's like here's the city we're gonna be in in the year in this country and everybody's like uh, wait 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 okay yeah. so we have we have some work to do <laughs> <laughs> exactly are we just gonna go to january 1st and hang out until we see them come up, which very possibly could have been the case. It's yeah, just they not have, talked about. They have all the time in the world. So. Yes. Um, so, but it was a nice little way that they could figure out. And then when they go back and they rescue, uh, well, they attempt to rescue Kendra. They they rescue Carter, but they're not able to, uh, you know, Vandal actually gets away with Kendra yet again. But in the process of everything, we find out what Vandal Savage's ultimate plan is. And that is he is to, he's going to use the blood from Kendra and Carter in order to activate the uh, the asteroids that had hit, or the meteors that had struck in these three different time periods, because they are a weapon. They're not just astro uh, meteors. They are, in fact, a weapon that, when detonated in all three time periods at the same time, uh, are, what go are what are going to erase time and take it back to the point in which the first meteorite strike, in which, Rob, you had mentioned, was back, you know, in ancient Egypt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, and that, that gives us the handy-dandy whiteboard science with Martin Stein realizing that the Earth position between Earth and Thanagar and where it gives them the idea of the three locations they need to be in at the right time. So we see a return to the episode of the, the Night of the Hawks where, um, you know, we see the asteroid come down and Vandal Savage mutating people into the hawk folk. 
uh, we see a return to the one of the first episodes of the 1970s episode and the nuclear arms deal. And then we see, um, what is it, 2021, I believe? Was the yeah, I think time. it's 2021, yeah. Right. So we see that these are their three points. So the team chooses to split into teams of two. Um, so we have, I think, Jax and uh, it was Mick, I believe. Well, with Professor Stein as yeah. well, as Dr. Stein as well, because he was Firestorm. Right. Uh, or actually, no, they were in the 70s, I believe. They actually, yeah. they went to the 70s, so it was, uh, I'm trying to remember who well, was no, Kendra, in the 50s. Kendra was in the 70s with Firestorm. Not Kendra, um, Sarah. Sarah. So Sarah and uh, Jackson Stein go to the 70s to deal with Stein at that location. We have, uh, in 2021, we have Hawkman and Rip. And that leaves Adam and Mick back into the 1950s. Yes, yeah, the Night of the Hawk, mm-hmm. or Night of the Hawks. Um, the fight scenes, three different timelines, three different fight scenes was awesome. Yeah, and they did it beautifully. And the one of the things here, we'll have to state too, is as the ritual starts off, it actually makes Vandal Savage mortal. So their whole idea was if they're able to kill him in all three times. That gives us give them the absolute ability to actually kill him for good, and it doesn't. Ha- and the other thing that because he's mortal, it kind of gets away from the fact that the death of Vandal Savage has to be done by Carter or Kendra, mm-hmm. uh, because we see back in the nineteen seventies, uh, it's actually Sarah that kills, um, that kills Vandal. Back in the fifties, it's Mick, I believe. Yes, and then um, in you know, in uh, in two thousand and. 2021 it's a combination Ken- of both uh Kendra and Rip yeah Kendra and Rip mm-hmm. um so yeah so i i really enjoyed that and what i really loved about the 2021 episode is yet again with this show another total nod to back to the future i don't know if you got it or not if you if you picked up on it but there's a scene where Rip goes over the edge mm-hmm. and comes up Standing on the Wave Rider. That very Marty McFly alternate 1985 off of the Biff's Casino. From Back to the Future 2. Mm -hmm. So I love that. The moment I saw him coming up, I'm like, oh, he's riding the Wave Rider. It's Uh, Back to the Future. And it was, yeah, arms crossed, the same look on the face as Marty. It (laughs) made made you smile. It was one of those wonderfully great moments. Yes, I absolutely loved it. Uh, But, I mean, again, we see, you know, Vandal killed in all three timelines in which... We get to see, you know, obviously now at this point, the the meteor has been activated. These things are going to happen. They've solved one problem in that Vandal Savage is finally dead, but these meteors have still been activated. They had to be activated in order for Vandal beca- to become mortal. So now, um, you know, back in 1950, back in the 1950s, the simple solution, which I thought was great, was Ray shrinks the meteor down and it goes off in a puff of smoke. Yes. Uh, in the 1970s, we finally get to see the transmutation powers of uh, Firestorm. Which the- I was so happy about. I've been waiting for that. And I love just when they're in the fight, when they go save, try to save Kendra and Carter in the 40s. Is I love he grabs the gun and it turns to sand. And it's I'm like, oh, my God, they finally did it. And I was like geeking out. It's Jackson <laughs> Stein trying to play with that and work on it. And him being able to transmute, you know, the meteor into water in the 1970s. Yes. So we're starting to see Firestorm's power set grow, and I'm really excited to where that's going to go next season. I am I am as well. Uh, but again, we, you know, in the 70s, we got to see them uh, transmutate the, the meteor into water. And in 2021, 
it comes to what I thought was a little bit of a little confusing at first, uh, but the more I thought about it, the more I started to understand it. Uh, the Rip Hunter decides to sacrifice himself for the team to take the meteor and basically throw it into the sun, uh, in which we are led to believe that Rip is basically, as I mentioned, he's going to sacrifice himself and the Wave Rider, leaving the team stranded in 2021. Uh, which, again, is only a couple years past where they were. So had, had that had been the case, it wouldn't have been the end of the world for the team. But uh, it turns out that Gideon, which I thought was a really cool moment, Gideon reveals that she's not ready to die. Mm-hmm. And they have one final time jump in which, after taking the meteor and the wave rider, the wave rider returns. They do one final wave jump and they return to possibly what is just mere moments after rip had left with the meteor right and it actually i was worried for a moment because it did feel like you know we got to see rip reunited with his wife and son and you're like no please don't have rip being dead like because you just weren't sure what they were going to do and it very much seemed that way yeah and then it was just him waking up right before it goes right into the sun they launch the meteorite directly into the the core of the sun turn around he said as you put it get back to 2021 seconds after he disappeared yeah so, um, which finally wraps up the uh, the finale with uh, it almost brings the finale full circle as well, because in the beginning of the episode, he returned everybody to 2016. Uh, and by the end of this episode, he does the same thing. He returns everybody home. And this is where they have to decide whether or not they're going to continue on with Rip through the through the rest of this or if they're going to stay behind and, you know, basically live their lives. And I was very happy with the results. Of what that was, of yeah. which characters stayed behind and which characters are continuing on. So, uh, in which we revealed pretty pretty much everybody is staying with Rip, with the exception of Kendra and Carter, who are going to basically and completely understandably why they no longer have the Vandal Savage situation to worry about. They can now live their lives without fear of being killed and reborn. Right. And I think it was interesting, uh, you know, this is not really newsworthy, but like we'll go into it a little bit in the news section. But the writers did say that when they were thinking about what to do with season two, they were having a difficult time coming up with storylines for the Hawks. So and this season kind of was proof positive that they were having a hard time with it as well. That was, I think, the only thing that really drug this season down was the Hawk arc. Um, I mean, you know, it was I'm happy they addressed that in the season where they're like, we're just going to let them, you know, have a normal life and as much as they can. And it was, I think, the right move, and it makes me more excited for next season. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of being excited for next season, Rob, I'm going to turn this one over to you because you're more familiar with this character than I am, even though I, I do know who he is. Uh, but you were giddy with delight oh, when I was. you saw this character. So I'm going to turn the final moments of this episode over to you. So as the season is... And the episode is wrapping up, we see, you know, the Hawks decide that they're going to leave and the folks that are going to stay on. And all of a sudden, another wave rider comes into the atmosphere that is looking a little worse for wares, <laughs> lands, and we see a hooded figure come out of the ship. Um, and what me and Ben thought was going to be Alan Scott did not turn out to be Alan Scott. Um, and he quickly addresses the team and it says, you know, you guys are exactly where you said you were going to be, kind of. And they look at him and it's like, you know, who sent you? And it's like, uh, Mr. Rory, or, you know, you did. Uh, and one thing I can tell you right now is do not get on the ship. And they're like, who are you? And he says, my name is Rex Tyler. And <laughs> the, 
you and the JSA sent me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, the Justice Society of America. And if you don't know who Rex Tyler is, that is our man, uh, who is a very, very interesting, unique character, who basically has superhero powers for an hour at a time. For an hour at a time. For an hour at a time, based off of a drug uh, called uh, Mirklo. Uh, so not Mirkuru, but Mirklo, which is kind of the nod, and that should remind a little bit of people of the Mirkuru serum from Arrow from Season 2 that Deathstroke was using. So yeah, seems like it, they're, we're going to see a lot of interesting, uh, very, very interesting things. But right off the bat, we know JSA is coming. Um uh, you know, we did hear in a lot of reports after the episode aired that the JSA is going to be a very large part of season two. Uh, we just don't know which characters yet. And we did find out, too, um, it wasn't just Alan Scott that we were wrong about. Greg Berlanti did come out and state that those two casting calls that we read out the other week were actually not real. They actually came from a different source, and they are not the people that they're looking for. Um, that was from an un uh, unrelated project that some casting agency dropped out that it was not to do with legends of tomorrow so okay um so we do know that those people that we were you know, guessing last i think it was two weeks ago um are not what we're looking at so yeah i'm very very curious now what we're gonna see season two we did hear at this point in time that the dynamic of the show is going to change up just a bit it's not going to be all the same characters every episode i think this is going to be a little bit more like justice league unlimited where Here's our normal roster of characters, but there's going to be certain ones that are going to focus on certain characters specifically, where they may be background characters of the episode after that, so on and so forth. So I think we're going to see kind of things changing around quite a bit next season. And you know what? And I think I'm I'm okay with that change up, only because of the fact, too, that I know, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, but when it comes to the fight scenes with the entire team, they're very expensive. Yeah, uh, for the production of that show. So if you do certain just partial casts every episode, you can do some pretty amazing fight scenes because you're not concentrating on showing the powers of everybody on that team. Especially if you're getting the characters from the JSA who have some pretty amazing like uh, powers and abilities. Yeah, I think one of the things too, it also doesn't force characters to appear in an episode just to shoehorn them into a plot, which is I think where this season did falter just a little bit. Yeah. Um, where we were like, okay, well, what's Ray doing? And it's like, well, we didn't have anything for him, so we're going to start a relationship with Kendra. Like, yeah. Those things. I don't think we're going to see it. I think we're going to see a more dynamic show next season. I think it's going to be, this is what is involved in our current plot line. We may see a couple smaller one-offs in the beginning of things, but I think you'll see a lot of focus on Sarah, you know, Mick, and, you know, Jackson Stein, but it's going to be how they're maybe individually interacting with the JSA. Yeah, uh, I know you mentioned, you know, you were very excited when you saw Our Man and you heard the JSA. I heard GSA, JSA and I got giddy because, I mean, as I've, I've mentioned over the past couple of weeks, uh, when it comes to Jay Garrick and, you know, the JSA version of The Flash, I've fallen in love with that version. I've started to explore uh, more ver JSA versions of these characters and I'm, I'm falling in love with them as well. I love these classic nods. So to see more of these characters show up on this show... I am. I can't wait for season two. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Can't. Really excited, and I think you and me are both really hoping that we get do get to see John Wesley ship. Maybe get to play on Legends of Tomorrow as Jay Garrick. Yeah. So exa I, yeah, exactly. I think it'd be a lot of fun to get to see him get to play in that world. So, uh, but no, nothing for next week, obviously, because this was the finale of the show. Uh, we will have our annuals coming up over the course of the next month or two, where we'll we'll kind of focus just on one show per week. 
uh, and kind of recap the season. So we will have a Legends Annual coming up in a couple weeks as well uh, with some returning guests that are going to be coming on to talk about those shows. Retur- returning guests, and I haven't even told you yet, but uh, there's some music that me and me and Ben have been listening to during the the running of the show that I did get some uh, get some okays to. So we're going to have some different theme music for those episodes. Oh, I'm excited. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> you definitely have heard one of them, the Flash one that we both love. And uh, oh, we got the okay. The, we got, we the, got okay. the okay to use that for the annual? We did. Oh, I'm stoked. So I'm looking forward to for people hearing that. Nothing against, like I said, George, uh, George Shaw's music. We love it. And that will always still be our continuation for the show. But... For the annuals, I'm really excited for people to hear these tracks. Nice. Um, I'm, I'm excited about that now. Uh, but as far as Secret Origins uh, goes, that is going to wrap it up for the breakdowns of the episodes. So we'll get ready to wrap things up, and we will head into the um, DC Essentials of the week, where we'll go over some news as well as make some recommendations for you for the week. Uh, I guess, do you want me to start with the news, or do you want to start? Uh, with, what, uh, why don't you go ahead and get started this week? Okay, I mean, I have three stories, and they all are actually pertaining to the same thing. They're all pertaining to Supergirl, which, as we had revealed last week, it was announced that Supergirl is going to be moving to the CW, which I think is a great move for this show. Uh, But we just found out recently that the fall schedule for CW has been announced, and Supergirl is staying on Mondays. So... Uh, which I think is great. Supergirl will land in its familiar Monday 8 p.m. time slot when the drama relocates to uh, ro- relocates from CBS to the CW in the fall. Uh, the DC Comics superhero series will be paired on the night with the third season of CW's Jane the Virgin, uh, in which the network called the Union of a wo- the Union of a Woman with Superpowers and an Everyday Superwoman. Uh, we think Supergirl will give a real boost to Jane the Virgin. So, yep, Supergirl is going to be moving. It's going to be staying to on Monday nights in its eight o'clock time slot, which I like as well. But in some unfortunate news, with the move from Supergirl going to CW, uh, it turns out that Supergirl season two may lose Callista Flockhart in the move. Um, we do know uh, at least it's uh, as a season regular. She still is going to be making appearances. Yes, but we may lose her as as you had mentioned as a. Uh, as a uh, a season regular. Uh, uh, The conclusion of the first season of Supergirl, negotiations began to move Cara Danvers and the rest of National City to CW, uh, which CW owns, or CBS owns with Warner Brothers. Uh, But in a conference call with the press, uh, CW president Mark Pedowitz was unable to confirm whether Callista Flockhart, who plays Kara's mentor and boss Cat Grant, will return for season two. Uh, rather, Pedowitz said discussions with that actress are ongoing since she is based in L.A. and stated we're happy to have her in whatever capacity is worked out. So, yes, she's based in L.A. And as we had mentioned, Rob, you had mentioned a couple weeks ago, production is going to be moving to Vancouver for this as well. Uh, and in which something I am very, very excited about. Now that Supergirl has moved on to CW's turf, the network has a four stack of DC branded, uh, you know, obviously the Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, and Legends of Tomorrow. They are working on a four part. Uh, they couldn't diverge any details, but they are working on a four part crossover for the show, which uh, will be part of the annual crossovers that they do into the fall finales of the shows. So, uh, uh, mid season finale. Oh, yeah, yeah, mid season finale. Yep. Well, it's you're, the fall, fall finale. finale. Yep. Yeah. You're right. Uh, so I'm I'm super excited to see, and they will all air on the same uh, in the same week. So they will be continuing Monday through Thursday. It will pretty much be just one huge story. 
uh, that continues in four parts Monday through Thursday. So I'm super excited to see what that is. And now we have the JSA in that mix as well. So how yes. cool is that, man? Yes. Like we get to see Supergirl, the Flash, the cast of Arrow, you know, the JSA, and just and the Legends, and it's gonna be so awesome to see. It's gonna be it's gonna be massive. This this is pretty much the TV version of Avengers happening. Um, yes. I mean, we got to see those nice little crossovers earlier, you know, this year when we got to see the start of Legends kick off uh, that came out of uh, the, you know, the midseason finales this year. But this is going to be, I think, very, very grandiose, and I'm really excited. And there's a part of me that's really kind of hoping, as I mentioned before, that this could be kind of like a, a, a crisis-style event. I think that would be really interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, Greg Berlanti, who's the producer of all of the shows, uh, has pretty much promised uh, that our annual crossover event this fall will be the biggest one ever. And I have no doubt mm-hmm. that is the case. Yeah. Uh, like I said, moving on to some of the other news, we did get a little bit more information about Powerless. We does seem like right now NBC is planning for that show to be a mid-season show. So the trailer has leaked online, has been pulled down, but I'm sure it's out there in the ether. So if you're really hunting for it, I'm sure you can track it down and find it. Uh, we did give you a nice uh, description of that last week. So very curious. Uh, and now talking about a little bit of Legends of Tomorrow, we did uh, mention before that Kendra and Carter have chosen to leave. And in that discussion, they did say the Hawks are not returning as season regulars as well in that show. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see them pop up from time to time, but I think we're not going to see very much of them. So um, where I think Falk Henshaw and Sierra Renee actually have had a couple really great moments on that show. Um, I think it's the right move. And I think Ben, you'd probably agree with me on that one. I agree with you completely. And it also means no more barista watch. Yep. Yep. So <laughs> we'll, we'll have to come up with something new for next season. Yes, so, exactly. So we can't just keep going back to the well with the same jokes. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and the other really huge news this week, though, is probably the most exciting of all of the news this week is uh, so Warner Brothers has announced that Jeff Johns and John Berg are going to head the DC films. Um, so we have our very own, you know, uh, Kevin Feige kind of now making sure that these films stay exactly in check on where they should. I know uh, very specifically Jeff Johns is pretty much the reason that. DC Comics has remained as relevant as it has today, thanks to many of his his work on everything from Aquaman, Flash, uh, you know, Green Lantern, uh, and now with kind of it seems that his his swan song for writing right now is uh, the DC Rebirth project, where it's just going to be amazing to see what he can do with the DC films now kind of having almost full control of what's going to happen. And uh, John Berg is uh, one of those people that has worked very, very heavily with people like Ben Affleck on a lot of his work. So it's, you're, you're getting, I think the two right people that can course correct uh, everything that's happening and which is, I think comes at a very important time with justice league in, in production right now. Yeah. Um, it makes you wonder how much of their hand is going to be seen in things like suicide squad and, um, uh, you know, Wonder Woman, because the production's pretty much wrapped up on both of those. And maybe they'll go back into a little bit of editing stuff. Maybe, you know, this move was kind of already figured out a couple months back. So maybe before they went in for reshoots for Suicide Squad, maybe Jeff Johns's hand is going to be shown a little bit there as well. So very, very excited. But it, it is kind of a sad loss for the, the actual DC Comics brand uh, to, to lose somebody that important. But I'm sure we'll still have a hand in helping craft uh, the reboot of uh, DC. So. Yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited about this move, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I- I've made no bones about it. I have not enjoyed 
the last couple of DC movies that have come out, you know, in Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman. Uh, so, I mean, I'm excited now to see what this change can bring to the future of these films. Yeah, I am too. I really am. And I think it was the right move. Uh, they've needed somebody in that role, and I couldn't think of anybody better than that. I mean, he's the man that's responsible for everything that's happened on TV as well. Yeah. Um, he, he, he's been, you know, one of the driving forces to make sure these characters are treated the proper way. And it makes you really wonder now what's going to happen with that Flash movie. Um, you know, if, if they're going to look at that and make some larger adjustments to it now. And I, I would assume we're going to see that happen. Yeah. So. Uh, and uh, the last story is just kind of an, a small story, but uh, at a recent con, uh, I forget which one specifically, there was not a lot of details. There was a female fan in the attendance that actually ended up having uh, a series of seizures. And at that convention present was people like Stephen Amell, a lot of the cast of Arrow, Colton Haynes, and Funk Henshaw. And uh, the uh, the girl that did suffer through the multiple seizure, at- uh, seizure attack um, stated that she was actually taken care of by Colton Haynes specifically. So... Kind of a very nice little sweet story that he was there, kind of keeping her there, like keeping her, you know, in check, making sure she was safe, everything was all right. But uh, she stated that when she kind of came to, uh, other people mentioned that Falk was also there by her side through most of the whole thing. So between uh, Colton and Falk, I think it's kind of a very touching to get to see them actually get to be real heroes in real life. So. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah, very very touching story. But but yeah, that kind of wraps up news for us this week. So. Uh, cool. So to get ready to wrap things up, too, obviously, we make our weekly recommendations. Uh, but this week is a little different as in we um, it's it's really a recommendation from Rob, but it's a shared recommendation from the podcast. So I don't have anything this week. Rob, I'll turn it over to you because I am in complete agreement that your recommendation this week should be the recommendation to check out. OK, so one of the things we've been talking about in a lot of my recommendations this past month have all been building towards DC Comics Rebirth. Uh, This is a big reminder to everybody listening to the show. If you have interest in these characters, this is the time to jump onto DC Comics. This Wednesday, DC Rebirth, the the number one, it's just a single one-shot special, uh, is going to be launching that day. It is a 70-page book for $2.99. They are DC is starting that their hold, hold like or actually not starting to. They're bringing back their old hold the line at two ninety nine. All their books going forward are at the two ninety nine price point, and this is them addressing a lot of the fan criticism that has happened from the new fifty two that has been running for the last five years. Um, and from somebody that already knows of everything that happens in that book, I can tell each and every one of you, this is a book you are going to want to read. Whether you read comics way back in the past, growing up, uh, if you like a lot of even some of the side projects that DC has done from the Vertigo brand, like Watchmen. This is a book you want to pick up. They do a beautiful job of stating what is wrong with the current world of DC and comics where it's gone too dark. It's lost a lot of joy and hope. And this book brings a lot of that to the attention of the readers and is actively addressing it. Um, I'm really, really excited for people to read it. I'm really excited for Ben to get a chance to read it, and we're really excited to talk about it next week. So. Yeah, I'm actually – I will be picking it up this week. I will be checking it out this week. I, as I've mentioned before, too, I've always been a bigger Marvel person when it comes to the comic books, but I'm really enjoying the DC shows, obviously, which is why I do this podcast. Uh, but uh, this is a good point for me personally to jump into DC uh, to check out a lot of these characters. So I'm I'm going to pick up this one and I'm going to start probably reading a bunch of the the you know the new births when they when they start hitting the newsstands in a couple weeks. So uh, I'm very excited for this and hopefully I'll get a chance to read it uh, before you know next week. So we'll be able to talk about it a little bit next week. Yeah, and like I said, 
you know, get on Comixology, find your local comic book store, and like I said, three ninety nine uh, or two ninety nine is not a lot to ask to check something out. So no, not at all. I mean, not you know, all. highly recommend people go do that. Um, and if you're Flash fans, I, I can tell you this now, you'll be very excited. In so. which I am. So, and uh, I've already been privy to some things that have happened, not fully, uh, in order for me to still read it, but I have. I do know some things about it, which make me very excited to read it. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. But that's it. Uh, So with that being said, obviously next week we are going to talk about the finales of Flash and Arrow, which we're at least really excited about one of them, uh, but still pretty excited about the other one. So I'm sure we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about next week. And obviously we'll talk a little bit more about DC Rebirth uh, next week. So as Rob mentioned, if you get the chance to read it, we highly recommend reading it before next week because I'm sure we'll talk a little bit. Yeah, shoot us a message. Uh, Shoot us an email or facebook or twitter for caffeine crew or next level um and let us know i'd really like to hear what people think about it and you know if we get any responses on that we'll definitely read your thoughts out uh next week yeah uh at uh, uh dc primetime at next level radio online.com is an email you can uh address both rob and myself at and so we can find out your opinions but uh as for our cheap plugs before we get out of here rob where else can people find you uh you can find me at caffeinecrew.com and that's caffeine crew at facebook and twitter or you can email me at the caffeine crew at gmail.com uh you can always subscribe to my other podcast i do uh, which is a monthly geek culture podcast called the caffeine crew cast of pods that ben and many of our guests here have actually been on before um and always a big special thanks to george shaw at george shaw music and we thank him each and every week for his intro and outro music that we use and you get to hear yes and of course i can be found also on the showcast on the next level podcast network which is in which uh, this podcast is a part of uh and we can be found at www.nextlevelradioonline.com which is where you can find all of our podcasts on the podcast network you can follow us on twitter at nxt level radio and of course find us on facebook and give us a like uh facebook.com slash next level radio online uh, on top of that, also we recommend if you don't already, if you're listening to this podcast streaming through the website or if you're listening to us on iTunes or if you're listening to us on Google, we're on all platforms. So you can, of course, uh, recommend us to other people as well. And we appreciate it if you would rate and review us as well uh, on whatever platform it is that you listen to us to to help us you know kind of get into like the new and noteworthy sections of those mm-hmm. of those podcast and platforms ben also too uh, i think one of the things that you guys have been talking about really heavily as well is uh if you have an interest in starting a podcast don't know how to get started send a message to the guys at next level they're always looking for for new exciting podcasts to bring on and uh they'll kind of give you the the nice guiding line on uh how to get started so, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up, Rob. Yeah, no problem. Uh, um, and uh, you know what? I think one of the things we have to address because we brought it up last week is uh, so that live event. Do you want to? Do you want to do the honors? Um, or shall we wait? I can, wait one no, more I week. Th- I think it's. I think now's a good time to do it because we're okay. about two weeks away, so we'll only have next week to promote it as well. So two weeks is a good time. Uh, but Rob, myself, uh, Chris Mannix, who has been on this podcast before, as well as a couple other people, I'm not sure who else is going to be there. If you're in the Philadelphia area and you are going to attend Wizard World Comic Con in Philadelphia in two weeks, uh, that is the weekend of uh, June. 3rd no june 2nd through the 5th is wizard world comic-con of philadelphia on saturday june 4th rob myself chris mannix uh and as i mentioned a couple other people are going to be on a panel at wizard world which is going to address marvel versus dc so i'm very excited to be part of this yeah 
It's uh, going to be very interesting because we have a really we, – we know at least between the three of us, Maddox, uh, myself, and Ben, uh, we all have very equal love for these properties. And um, it's going to be interesting to see and get to break down what each of them is doing right on, in what areas. So, and But do it from a, a place of just fandom where we just love the fact that this stuff is being made. Yeah. I mean, between, you know, Mannix is a heavy Marvel guy. You're a heavy DC guy. I kind of fall somewhere in the middle uh, with everything now being a fan of Marvel Comics, but a fan of DC television shows. So it'll be a it's it's going to be a very interesting panel, um, but we'll keep it very lighthearted. Obviously, we'll keep it a lot of fun. Uh, Tony Kim, who is the moderator of the panel, is a professional moderator. He moderates panels uh, everywhere from smaller cons all the way up to San Diego Comic Con so he's he's a pro at this uh, so this isn't any rinky dink panel I mean and it's on Saturday which is the biggest day of the con so if it's on Saturday you know it's going to be a good panel Yeah. Uh, so again if you're going to be at Wizard World Comic Con on Saturday uh, June 4th was the date I June think. 4th yep June 4th uh, check the programming schedule look for the Marvel versus DC panel and come on out check us out at the panel and afterwards come up and say hi introduce yourself let us know that you're a listener as well yeah uh, so. and if we can I guess we're gonna see if we can try to at least get video or audio of that and we'll get that on a YouTube page or maybe if we get good audio of it maybe we'll release it on this feed as well for you guys so yeah and I think um, if I can work it out Rob you had mentioned a, a little phone tripod uh, a phone adapter for my tripod I actually went out and got one so <clears throat> if if it's able to be worked out <clears throat> excuse me uh, we'll probably broadcast the panel live on the on uh, the next level Facebook page as well so uh, you should be able, if you're not in the Philadelphia area and unable to attend you'll be able to watch it from there as well. So, but that means you have to like the Facebook page at the same time. So, but uh, I think that's going to be it for this week. That's it. So, uh, with that being said, we will see you guys next week. Uh, until then, be sure to get out to your local comic book stop or check out Comicsology for the DC Rebirth one shot. Uh, until then, though, we'll see you guys around the bend. Take care. Peace. <laughs>